You know, before I became a pastor, I was at Fairview Baptist Church. And, uh, man, I love the Word of God. And I hope if you know me for any length of time, you know that I love the Word of God. And I have my trials and storms. And Boy, at Fairview, uh, I got the opportunity to preach about once a month or a little more, a little less. And I would, I would dig into the Word. And I would come and I would bring it with power, as much power as I could. And I'd get good responses. Got to thinking, oh, you good preacher. And I got to thinking there of how much better I could do this than the man that was leading that church. If he would just let me lead, I could build it, I could grow it. And I, I went through that for a number of years until the Lord broke me and he humbled me and he, he showed me until I know how to follow I'll never be able to lead. Well, we just had our, our three-year anniversary, January 13th. We should have given it a little more credit than we did. We kind of just walked by it. But three years at the Wells been a church, a bona fide church. And I've been a, yeah, amen. This is our fourth year now uh, that we're approaching and before I get into the sermon, it's really just a side note. If Chuck Mullinax was here right now, I'd tell him how sorry I am. Because I never understood the weight that a pastor bears. I thought his job was so easy. <laughs> Dream job. Get up, preach on Sunday, go to the house, chill, preach next Sunday. Because that's what I saw. Because he let me preach. He let me do what I love to do. It's not a burden without reward. I love every one of you. And I've said something from the stage before that I still stand behind but was taken wrong. I've said from the stage before that, that I don't like it when people come to me and complain. But what I meant by that was is that all of you are big boys and girls. If you have a little scuff between you or there's something that is small and petty in the church that you just don't like. Well, this church isn't about you. It's about God and it's about Jesus. But I don't want you to think that I'm saying, don't bother me. Because I'm not the best pastor in the world, but what I do know is God has given me a burden for you. Not a heavy burden that is without reward. Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is... My burden is easy, my yoke is light. It's not something that I don't want to do. If you've got an issue, if you've got something that is waiting, something waiting on your heart, you come and talk to me because I'm your pastor. But in the same breath, I ask you, please pray for me. Pray for my wife. <laughs> pray for Wesley McClure, Tambone, Mark, Robert, Grant, all these guys in here that they may not have some title pastor, but I promise you they carry weight. And they carry it for Jesus, they carry it for me. But it's hard sometimes. And we, are, we want to be excellent for Jesus and for you guys. Which is actually, I didn't know why, but that's a good segue into my sermon today. Because I'll, I don't know about you. But I want to know how to be a great steward of what God has given me. Whether it be money. 
whether it be gifts and talents and abilities, whether it be the help that he's brought alongside of me, whether it be the, the volunteers at the well or the people who, whatever it is, I want to be, do you want to be a great steward? You know the reason I want to be a great steward of what he's given me? Is because I want him to be glorified to the max. I want to work efficiently. Not so that I can please everybody. Not so that people won't fuss at me or that I can feel good about myself. I want to work efficiently so that everything that belongs to God and every ounce of energy that can possibly be put into the the going forth of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel can be rightly done and he gets all the glory. That's what it means to give. Today as we transition, and I, I appreciate the prayers because that's a hard job sometimes, especially when you've got, and there, you know, it's not just about what's going on in my life right now, just in general. It's hard. Isn't there a lot of voices Speaking to you, isn't there? You know, the, the Bible's very clear that, that Satan is a liar, a deceiver. He's an accuser. God's people are often like sheep wandering away. So they want to go right. So they say, let's go right, let's go right. And sometimes there's some good stuff in there, but sometimes it's just what they want. Sometimes there's wolves in sheep's clothing. There's all these different voices. And so you and I have to stay on our face. Then we got our own sin to deal with. And I'll tell you right now, I told the people, when I, I told everybody that when I came to be pastor, I said, look, I love Jesus. I'll preach the word. I want you to pray for me, but I can't not be who I am. And I can't stand up here and put on some big show for you guys. Your pastor is a sinner too. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, y'all might have thought my cape you know, said otherwise. But man, you know, this past week, I'm struggling. Struggling with my motivation. Struggling with different things that, that I thought were put to bed. Struggling with this, struggling with that, you know. My wife and I are trying to love each other to the max, but I'm an idiot, and so we struggle there sometimes. But today, I want us to get into the Word of God, and I want us to ask, how does God call us to give? How does God give us an example of giving? And we will look at, are we, are we obligated to tithe? Because that, I think, is the general rule of thumb of how most people, especially in the Bible Belt and in the, in the denominational churches that you've probably been a part of, whether it, because for the longest time, church history is very clear, for the longest time, tithing was one of the things that was absolutely cross-denominational. It didn't matter where you went. You could go to Pentecostal, Church of God. You could go to Presbyterian. You could go. It don't matter. You go wherever you want to go, and tithing was the thing. And so should we learn from church history? It is, does the Bible call us as New Testament believers to continue that tithe? Are we to make sure that we give 10% of our gross income and we'll get into what the tithe is. Some of you think it's one thing. Some of you think it's another thing. It may be something else altogether. Maybe you're right on. But let's open up the Bible and let's say, what does the Bible teach about the tithe in the Old Testament, in its context? What was it for? And let's then go to the New Testament and see, does the tithe 
Does it transfer over across uh, the, the Testaments? Does it transfer from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in the same way? And are we on the same uh, playing field with the same laws and the same bearings on us as Old Testament uh, uh, people of God? Are we obligated in the same way for the same tenth? Because if we are, then we need to do that, right? If, we are, if the Word of God says that you are obligated to give a tithe, and that is your obedient task to do for the Lord, and you are, to, you are to obey the commandments of God, and the commandments are not to be burdensome, 1 John, then wouldn't you want to do that? You wouldn't want to withhold the tithe from God, right? But if it's not carrying over to the New Testament, well, then we've got a little, then we've got a little conundrum. Okay, then, so... Well, we know we're supposed to give, right? So how do we give? So I want to examine the scriptures to see where exactly are we. Before I do that, I want to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for those men that came up here and gathered around me to pray. I want to thank you that at the exact same time there was a group of women that gathered around my wife to pray. Because God, you know the weight that it can be sometimes to carry the burdens of ourselves and our own family and our own tribulations and our own sins and then the weight of those that are placed on us from the outside. God, you've called me to bear that burden and I will bear it gladly. You've called others here to be burden bearers. We have actually actively spoken about it and been plain with it and we've accepted that task and are glad of it. But I am thankful for your people who gather around and recognize that we are human beings too. I pray, God, that you would allow us to steward the gifts that you've given us, that we would be the most effective for you and your kingdom and the gospel going forward. I pray that the well would be a a well-oiled machine and that it would go uh, as smoothly as possible. Not that people would think it was great or woohoo, none of that but that you would gain and that you would receive the most glory and we would squeeze out every ounce of glory from the, from the time we start to count down to the time we open up those doors. Whether that's an hour, whether it's three, whether it's, I don't care what it is, as long as you are absolutely glorified. And I pray that the people in here, your people, would be concerned with one thing and that's your glory. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Help us to open up this Bible right now and to get into your word. And whatever your Bible says, I pray, God, that you would transform us by the renewing of our mind. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, open up your Bibles with me. We're going to move around a little bit. We've got a couple of key passages. I'm going to show you uh, three things today is all. And I think that through these, I think that obviously I won't be able to get through every single aspect. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things, this is if you want to know how to pray for me, this is one way. One of the hardest things for me, and I've told you this before, is not really studying the scripture and drawing stuff out of it. I love to put it all that, and that kind of comes natural to me. One of the hardest things for me to do is, is to put it all together in such a way that it's not too much for everybody and it's not too tall for everybody. 
Because I need to know my audience, and I need to speak in such a way and preach in such a way that I don't give you what you want to hear and what makes you feel good, but, but what you need and what God would have you to have in order to change who you are. And I, yes, I did say change who you are. Because this may be a newsflash, but not a one of you out there are perfect. Every one of you, including me, we need to hear the word of God and we need to look at ourselves in a mirror and we need to say, how do you line up with the word of God? Now, there's all types of different uh, places in life out here, different ages, different education levels, different backgrounds, different cultures. We speak different languages in cultural aspect. There's all types of things. And so what I must do is I must pray, God, give me the word. In, in the book of Samuel, Samuel prays a prayer, and it stood out to me. I never did see it before. Several months ago, actually, it stood out to me. And Samuel started preaching. He said, God, I need for you to show me what to tell the people. How lost that is in many churches these days. How many times have I heard a sermon and it at least seemed to me as if the man of God opened up the Bible and said, let me just teach you what this says. Well, you've got a Bible. You can do that. But does the Spirit have any place there? You see, I try my best to go and seek after God. What do we have? What would you have for us? What would you have for them? Please enlighten me. Please show me. And he usually, usually floods me with all this information. And here I am trying to sort through it all. How do I give them exactly what they need? What parts should I give them right now because it's urgent and what parts not? Today, what the Lord has pressed on me, and I think it was maybe more for me than any of you, because... As I was worshiping and as these things were just flooding through my mind, all the, the stuff that I've studied this week and, and the Lord speaking to me, it just broke me. And people were going, you okay? You okay? Oh, he might quit today. <laughs> no, it wasn't that kind of tears, to tell you the truth. It was such awe. And I turned and looked at Robert and I said, I feel like I can't met with him in so long because your pastor's been struggling. I saw God today in a way that I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I got a word for you that he had already given me through the word, but he spoke it to me right there. And I said, you want to hear it? You want to hear it? Good Lord. <laughs> All right, let's get into the word of God. All right. This sermon is Gracious Awakening. Uh, the subtitle is Biblical Giving. I want to look at the Bible and I want to say, okay, how are we commanded to give? How should we think about giving? Is it the tithe? Is it something else? If it's not the tithe, why not? If it is the tithe, why the tithe? Let's take a look at what the Bible says. So the first thing I want to show you is the origin and the reason for the tithe. How many of you, by show of hands, know exactly why you're supposed to tithe? There's a couple, two or three or four. You, do you know where the tithe came from? Do you know what it was for in the Old Testament? I want to give you some insight. Uh, those of you who know, this will be a, 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 re, a, a redo. Those of you who don't know, well, then I want to enlighten you through the Word. So we look at the Bible and we say, okay, what is the origin and the reason for the tithe? And the first place I want to go is Genesis chapter 14. Now, for those of you who are somewhat aware of the Bible, <clears throat> I'm not sure how many know how much about the tithe. It goes a lot deeper than I, I ever realized that it went. But anyway, 
Most of us, most of the people that I know anyway that I've had a discussion about this, most of them look at the tithe and they understand the tithe to originate in the Levitical law uh, instituted by Moses for the people that they would give a tenth of all the seed, all the fruit of the tree, the firstlings. They would give a tenth of the first of everything that they had and that belonged to the Lord and it was a law. Okay, Most everybody that I've ever talked to, they think that that originated right there. But as a matter of fact, it actually originates a little before that. What we find in the scripture is, is that it actually predates the Mosaic law. Now, I'm sorry if that's Spanish to you, but let, let me say it a little bit clearer. It was be before it was a law, we saw it practiced. Before it was mandated and mandatory and commanded that you will do this, we saw it done by Abraham. Let's read that scripture because I think it's absolutely uh, crucial for our understanding. <clears throat> this is in Genesis 14, verses 17 through 24. Now listen to the Bible. After his return from the defeat of Chedor or whatever, <laughs> and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shevi. Did y'all know that? Uh, now I'm a forward man, so I was just like, oh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and of earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. <clears throat> now listen here. Here it is. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is before Moses had come down off the mountain and they had established the Levitical law and all the things about not intermixing threads and uh, food laws. and all. This, is, this predates all of that. This is actually a couple hundred years before any of that. And so we go on, it says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, the question here should be on your mind and was on my mind is why? Did he feel obligated to? Was this like a precursor to the commandment and maybe kind of how it originated to become a law? But let's continue on in the scriptures because the Bible needs to interpret the Bible. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So here we have Abram who gave him a tenth of everything. Boom, there it is. That's yours. Now, I think Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Some would even suggest that he is the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, Christophany, if you will. And we've talked about that some, Christ showing up in the Old Testament. But that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is, is that Abraham said, here's a tenth of everything. It's right there. That's yours. Now, what we see is Melchizedek saying, hold on a second, Abram. I want you to take, uh, I want to keep all the people, but the stuff, I want you to take it back. I'm not mandating you to give me that. Take it back. You don't have to give that. Do you see that? Does everybody see that from the scripture? He says, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. You don't have to do all of that. Do you, do you get that? Look at the person and say, I don't know what he's talking about. Hold on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you weren't really supposed to say that. <laughs> Look at the person again and say, I'm just kidding. All right. Abraham lays it out. He says, here's the 10th. Melchizedek looks at him and says, I'll keep the people. Take the stuff for yourself. Now listen to Abraham's response. It's key. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, 
Abraham said, listen, Abram said to the king of Sodom, this is what his reply was. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. That is whose? That is yours. Belong to him. I would not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Lest you should say that I have made Abram rich. Now, I don't have a lot of time to spend right there, and I don't think it's necessary. Here's the bottom line. Melchizedek, I mean, Abram laid it all out. Melchizedek said, I'll keep the people. Take all the stuff for yourself. You don't have to give that. Abraham, Abram said, Abram at this point, Abraham later, said, uh-uh. I know I don't have to give that, but I would not dare take any of that because I want you to have this. This is yours this is yours because I wouldn't want anybody to say that, that Melchizedek has made me rich. I don't want to find my wealth in that. I don't want anyone to say that, that he has become rich with stuff. There's an underlying principle here. What is it? God, I mean, Abram desires God's presence and God's wealth. God's, God's blessing, then he does the stuff. You see the principle here? All right, now this was before the Mosaic law. Now let's keep on. I think that's where it originated. That's the first place we see it. We also see Jacob tithing, and uh, that was not uh, binding either. It was not uh, an obligation. We won't go to that one, though. But number one, <clears throat> it was a sign of respect and adoration. We see that as Abram gives to Melchizedek. So he lays it all out there. He said, no, I, I don't want to be rich with this. Your blessing. Your most. He, he talked to him. It was a respect and adoration. I want, to, I want to give you this. Take it, please. I won't want any of it. I want the blessing. The second is, is that it's support for God's anointed. In Numbers 18, 24, it says this. So the first is uh, respect and adoration that we would give. The second is this. Numbers 18, 24 says, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Now understand that the Levites did not get an inheritance with the other tribes of Israel. Instead, they've, they got the Lord himself. And all the people, all the other tribes, they were to give a tenth of everything, and that tenth was to go to take care of God's people. So it was to support uh, the support of God's anointed. Now, out of the tribe of Levi came Aaron and the anointed priesthood. And so this was absolutely to take care of God's anointed. So they took from the tithe, and they supported the temple, they supported the priests, and they supported all things that surrounded the ministry, so to speak. Okay? So it was support of that. Number three, in the origination and reason for the tithe, is the support for sojourners, orphans, and widows. We find that in Deuteronomy 26, 12, which says this. When you have finished paying all of the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the, the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, their fatherless, and the widow. So we see that it was out of respect and adoration. 
It was in support of God's anointed or his ministry or his temple. And it was also for the sojourner or that's like a passerby or a stranger coming through that may not know anybody, have a job or have a way to provide for himself. So it was kind of a wanderer would take those guys in. It was for the fatherless or the orphan uh, and the widow. So those who couldn't take care of themselves were to be fed out of this tent that was given and they were to be taken care of. So it was to support the church and to support those that couldn't support themselves, right? This, get, this is good. This is all good so far. So, and the last thing I want to show you about the tithe is that it is required and considered robbing God if broken. The tithe is considered re, a requirement, and it, it, if you don't do it, if these people in the Old Testament, now we're looking at the origin of it, were required by law to give the tenth, or otherwise it was considered that they were robbing God. Okay, now let's look at those scriptures so we know clearly. <clears throat> Leviticus 27.30 says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to Him. It is a requirement to give. But now let's look at Malachi 3.8. It says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. So we see that at least in the Old Testament, it was a commandment that you are to tithe 10%. And some people say, well, it's just a matter of, of, of opinion whether the Old Testament... Uh, teaches that we should tithe off of our gross income or our net income. No, let me, let me go ahead and debunk that. It's not opinion. It's not anything. It is your first. What is your first? Your first is before you, before you buy that double cheeseburger at Burger King. Hmm. Before you pay your taxes. Now, you give to Caesars what's Caesars. But why would you give to Caesar? The government before you gave to God. Who's more? I say it goes back to that adoration thing. Now, off of the gross income, you say, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. When you get your paycheck, there's a little thing on there on your stub that says gross and net. Now everybody's like, man, he's working this up, baby. <laughs> the church is gonna be like piling up. There's a place on there that says gross pay and net pay. And you'll see the gross pay is one thing. And then all of your taxes are deducted, and then your net pay is whatever is left over. According to the Old Testament, if you were, a, uh, if you were in a tribe of Judah, you would look at your gross pay, and you would say, what's 10% of that? And that would be the minimum that you would give, because you give before everything else, okay? Now, we're still in the Old Testament. Now, if you didn't do that, it was considered robbing God. Now, Let's move and shift now. We've looked at the origin and the reason of the tithe. Now, it goes a lot deeper than that, and there's some stuff in there that I just don't get, like tithing on this year and tithing this thing and, and redeeming some tithing. I don't even get that stuff either. I'm, I'm trying, all right? But these are the principles that we need to look at because that is what our present system and most of your understanding is built off of. So <clears throat> what we have understood is, is that this Old Testament teaching, this Levitical law, what we see in Abram and Jacob before the Mosaic law ever was instituted, it kind of just carries right through uh, the, the Levitical priesthood through the Old, Old Testament and flows 
flows right into the New Testament. And now we are in the same way obligated to give our 10%. And we, if we don't, we're considered robbing God. And you better do that or it's going to be bad for you. Now, is that the way that we find it in the New Testament? And, and I'll, you don't have to, to answer this, but I wonder how many of us uh, have always been taught and we just said, okay, that's what I do. That's what I'll do. Now, I'm not saying it's yet. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Remember, what's the, what is the reason and the goal of this sermon series? It's not necessarily to answer the question for you. We'll get to some answers, and I think this will be insightful. But the goal of this series, The Awakening, is primarily not to answer questions, but to show you how to find answers. Look at yourself in the mirror, and I want to know, how many of you do whatever you do because that's what you've always been taught to do? And you've never searched the scriptures to see whether you're doing what you're supposed to be doing or what the Bible teaches. We call ourselves Christians. We say we love God's word. I'm guilty. I can't point at you because I've got three fingers pointing back at me. I've done it. How many of us have studied the scriptures and said, this is how I want to give? So let's do that today. All right, so the second question I have is, it's concerning the tithe and the new covenant. The tithe and the new covenant. And I put new covenant. I could have put new testament, but <clears throat> there's not a, there's, think, people think that there's a big gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's really not. They're really intermingled like this. You can't, you can't understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament because they really mingle together to paint us one good picture of Jesus Christ. Okay? So I put the new covenant because this is the transition that we see. And I want to show you the scripture on this. It can't be just what I think or feel. Is that we need to, we need to ask ourselves, okay, we see the tithe taught in the Old Testament. Does it apply to us the same way? Because if it does, I want to do it. But if it doesn't, I want to see what does. How are we to give? So let's look. Let's look at a few scriptures I want, to read one script, I want to read one set of scriptures, and this set of scriptures is intended to do one thing. It's intended to show you that not only, now this is my position, there are other positions, and I'll kind of hint at some of those, but this is what I understand the scriptures to be teaching. Not only is the, is the tithe obsolete, but all of the Old Testament law in the way that they impinged on the people in the Old Testament, all of those are obsolete and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Not just the tithe. Every one of them. You say, oh, Lord, we're going to be broke next Sunday. No, I don't think so. Let's get into the Bible, okay? Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, <coughs> verses 1 through 13. Now what we are looking now we've got to talk about the law and how the law transfers into now we'll come back because remember the tithe wasn't always a law okay so we're going to come back and revisit that you hang with me stay with me Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 13 listen to what it says I'm not going to read it all but listen to what it says <clears throat> Now uh, let's see let's see I'm going to I'm going to start in uh, 4 I'm going to start in 4 
Now if here, <coughs> now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. But listen to this. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, listen to this, this is very important for your whole understanding of Scripture and the Old Testament. Listen to this. You may have never heard it. I don't know. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. He goes on to say that it was the law that brought death, and the law was actually serving a purpose. And it wasn't to get us to God, it was to show us that we could not get to God and that we needed God to get to us. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying my best. Is this coming across? The law served a purpose and that was to show us that we needed a Savior and that we could not do what God called us to do. It pointed out Jesus Christ. So we needed Christ to come and do something for us. Now listen to what it says. It goes on in verses 8 through 12, and it talks about this new covenant. Listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So God is doing something. In the law, he was showing something and he was showing our need for a savior. But I want to point out one more verse right here and this is the key to everything. One of them. Verse 13 says this. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Did you hear what the Bible just said? In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. What does obsolete mean? He continues. And what is becoming obsolete and is growing old is ready to vanish away or to pass away. The Bible clearly teaches uh, throughout. We can go to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. This is a shorter verse. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to see what it says about the law and our obligation to keep it. Listen to 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, we're going to come back in a second and say, Okay, well then what does that mean? But right here it says you are not under law, but under grace. Again, in Romans 7, 4 through 6, I thought this was perfect. Listen to this. <clears throat> Likewise, my brothers, this is Romans 7, 4 through 6. 
Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Could it possibly be any more clear? Let me read that one more time so that you know. Now, those of you who are faithful here and give, don't be scared that I'm going to scare away all of our givers and they're going to stop giving. Okay? Because really that's not how it works. And that's not how we are to give anyway. Let me read it one more time. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So there seems to be now uh, this, this obligation on the Old Testament, but based on that verse, if we just read that one, that we have been released from the law, we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That straight out said, we don't serve in the same way as the written code. Is that clear enough? Okay, so now, now then the question would become, well, I've never heard that before. How then should I decide what to give? Right? How many of you in that boat? Don't raise your hands. If you're like me, I was in that boat. Uh, and, my, and, and the crazy thing is, my wife and I, we tithe. So I'm reading this going, hmm, what do I do? But after examining the scriptures and examining what she and I do, now this is just us personally, what, what you decide to do, we'll get into the scriptures. I think that we are doing our best to line up with the biblical teachings on giving. Now let's look and see what that is. <coughs> let's turn over to... Um, I want to turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Now, I think that this is actually abused sometimes, just like, <clears throat> just like a lot of scriptures. I think that people who are greedy, who are uh, not in line with the will of God, they don't care about God's people, they don't care about God and His church, they use this verse as a cop-out. And they say, you see there, Brandon? We're not, we're not obligated to the tithe anymore. I'm supposed to give out of the goodness of my heart and whatever my heart decides. And I think 2% is plenty. Get out of here, you know? That's what I want to do. Let's listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> listen to this, starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever so this is the new covenant teaching on giving. This is one of the primary examples. This all over the New Testament. And I will say, now I gave you one uh, extreme. People use this verse to say, well, I don't have to give hardly anything. I'm not obligated to give nothing. So I'm just going to give, I'm going to put this 10 in there. And that's what my heart says is good. Okay. All right. There is another teaching on this same passage that says, if you will give a lot, you're going to get rich. You've seen them on the TV. I just want you to sow a seed. Sow a seed into this ministry of $10. We will send you this vial of holy water and this New Testament. And you watch what God will do. All right? You've heard that. Luke, you heard that before? I've heard that before. All right? And I've wanted to say that before. Right? Hey, 
20, 20, 20, 30, 35. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because it gets rough sometimes when the church is broke. I'll tell you right now. We got a little bit of money, but our Wesley, am I lying? The heat Wednesday night about burnt the building down. We are in desperate need of AC unit in this auditorium. $15,000. We got the price. We got somebody to put it in, but we can't afford the unit. Any takers? Can you find it in your heart? <laughs> All jokes aside, we are going to start raising money for that next week because I like the church. Do you? I don't want to burn it down. Do you? <laughs> so let's get into the scripture because there is two extremes. I don't have to give anything now. I'm not obligated. Then there's another one that says, if you give, you'll get. All right. Now let's see what it says here. <clears throat> the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now I'm not all about the health, wealth, and prosperity, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God teaches throughout his word that if you will give abundantly, if you will be faithful, if you will give generously, then it will be given back to you. Sometimes that may look like wealth. Sometimes that may look like blessing. Sometimes that may look like this, may look like that. I have no idea what it looks like. But the Bible says very clearly, if you, re if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you give, it will be given to you. That's the Bible. Okay. Now I think there's a principle that will help us understand that. And I'm running out of time and I've got to show you Jesus this morning. So we're going, we're going to get to Jesus. Oh, you can fire me. All right. All right. Let's continue reading. I got a little sidetracked there for a second. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. There is your key. Each must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, I think that you must, I think, I really do believe that you must marry the words reluctant and compulsion together because we actually should give out a compulsion, but not reluctant compulsion. You, you tracking with me? You following? I'm getting somewhere this. This is going to be real good, Okay. So you should not give reluctantly or compulsively, but you should give out of the heart. It says, <clears throat> not, under not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you are to give cheerfully. You are to sow abundantly that you would receive abundant blessings. But you are to do it not out of obligation or out of twisting God's arm and saying, God, I gave 20. I want 40, you know? <laughs> Right? That's no, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not it. That's not it. But you are saying, I want to give as much as I can. And God is saying, I can trust this guy. I can trust this. Because one side of the coin says, I'm going to give God 20 so he can give me 40. I'm going to give up 20 so I can get 40 and I can have double for me. That's selfish ambition. God does not reward that. But if you give and you say, I want to give as much as I can. I want to give. I can give 20. I think I can squeeze 30. I want to give it. I don't know how I'm going to get by, and that's okay. I'm going to give it because I trust God. The reason you would get more back is that the exact opposite reason of the other guy. The reason that you would get more back is that you wouldn't spend it on yourself. You, tracking with, you understand what I'm saying? You're faithful with a little so he can trust you with a lot. It is not so you'll have more to spend and, and more to blow. That's stupid. That's silly. We don't give to get in that way. 
But if we are faithful with a little, and he can trust us to know that we're not going to blow it on ourselves. We're not going to spend it on something silly. But we're going to use it to do what he commanded them to do in the Old Testament. We're going to take care of widows. We're going to take care of the church. We're going to take care of the hurting. We're going to steward it well. Then I do believe that God will bless you abundantly, not just with money, but with, with health, with stuff that you can use for his kingdom. Amen? It's not about giving so you can get more for you. No, God will never do that. It is about being trustworthy with money and with other things. That when God blesses you with a lot, he can trust that you're going to use that for his glory and his kingdom. Listen to Luke chapter 16. And this is the last thing, and I'm going to move into Jesus. We've got to get to Jesus. But this is good. I want you to hear it, and I want to touch on this for just a second. Luke 16, uh, verses 10 through 13. Listen to what it says. Now, I, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity teacher, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Bible believer. That's what I am, okay? One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you, entrust to you the true riches? Now we get to the point. It's not necessarily a bunch of money that God's going to bless you with. But if you, that's unrighteous wealth. Money is unrighteous wealth. It's just money. It's not like it's, it's just money. Some of you think it's righteous. That's a huge problem. I've thought it righteous before. Huge problem. It's for what the rest of this text is about. But that's the unrighteous stuff. That's the worldly stuff. And if you can be trustworthy with that, what he's going to give may be some money. I don't know. But what you're going to get is the presence of God. You're going to get blessings and the true riches. Which, what is that? Every treasure of wisdom is found in where? Jesus Christ. Do you love money more than Jesus? Because if you want the money, you get the money. If you want Jesus, you get Jesus. He goes on, he says, and if you, it says, entrust uh, you with the rich, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So now as, we, as I close it out, I want to look at this in practice. What does this look like? Do we throw out the law altogether then? Do we throw any of the law out altogether? When he says it's made obsolete and passing away, does that mean we just completely ignore the Old Testament and we don't read it and we say, oh, forget that? Let's take a cue from Jesus. How did Jesus look at Old Testament laws that were impinging on people or requirements for people? How did he handle it? Don't you think that he would be a good example for us to follow? Well, when Jesus gets to the law, <coughs> he does things like this. Because many of you, many of you greedy people, you've heard me give you an out today. You've heard me give you an excuse not to give 10%. Can I have that back, please? Can it, would you hand me that back? Because I'm about to take it if you don't give it, okay? Here we go. In the Bible, Jesus says, you have seen it written Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that anyone who looks on a woman with lust in his heart, 
has already committed adultery. Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you, any man who hates his brother in his heart has already committed murder. He goes on and on. He does this over and over and over and over. Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to uphold the law and to take it from a hand thing to a heart thing. You see, do I think that tithing should just be forgotten about? I actually don't. One reason is, is that it predates the law. So I think we can really learn about it. In Hebrews chapter 7, it pulls out how Abraham gave to Melchizedek because of his lofty power. So this is what I think we should do with it. Now, we're getting more into it because the Bible doesn't expressly say this exact thing. I am using the Bible to interpret the Bible. I think that it should be like this. I think that a 10% for us is a good starting place. I think it is, I think it's a good place to start. If it's good enough for Abraham to give to Melchizedek, and if it and if it's good enough for God to institute it as a proper means to keep people pointed towards him, I think it's a good starting place for us. I think the principles are still there. But this is what I would see it as. I would see it as needing to move from the hands into the heart. Just like we can look at the Old Testament uh commandment thou shalt not commit murder and we can learn from that and we can say i shouldn't wrap my hands around your throat and choke the life out of you right that's a good starting place but wouldn't you think that the new testament teaches us that we should grow in the likeness of his son and the image of his son don't you think the new testament teaches that not only should we not choke the life out of someone but that we should even love our enemies not only should we not have sex with other women that are not our wife, but that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's so much deeper and farther than the law of not committing adultery. So I would say if you would like a good starting place, I think that's what you use the 10% mark. But I think it would be crazy for anybody to be like, I'm going to give my 10%. That's what I'm going to give. You give your 10%. You give the waiter at the restaurant 20. At least eight, unless you're a cheapskate. Are you a Christian cheapskate? Listen, I'm not in here telling you what to give. I'm telling you that the Bible does not tell us what to give. I'm releasing you from the obligated 10%. Don't feel like you have to give 10%. If you feel like you have to give 10%, as a matter of fact, you just keep your money. That's not what God wants. God wants you to give out of the joy of your heart. He wants you to give like he gave. And as the band comes up, I want to paint you a picture of how he gave. And we're closing down now. I'm doing okay. Not great. Not great, but okay. This is how Jesus gives. He gives without expecting repayment. Jesus gives without expecting repayment. If we look at Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says, He does not, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
There is nothing that, that he would require us to give to get. As a matter of fact, there's nothing that we could give to get him. That's why he came. This is what the tithe was teaching us. You can't pay enough. You don't have enough. There's nothing in your possession that would allow you to force God or pay back God for the debt that you owe. You understand? You're in such debt to God that it is unfathomable because he is eternally good and you are eternally bad. The wages of sin is death. But you see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gives without expecting any, without expecting any repayment. He gives not just what is needed but far above and beyond. He doesn't just give what he has to give. He's not, he's not obligated. And so he did it out of twisting his arm. No, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. This is my God. You see, Jesus Christ didn't give just what was needed. You see, he gave it to you and he gave it all. He laid it down. He said, take it all. Take it all. What do you want? Take it all. All the riches in heaven at your disposal. You want to hold on to that ten? Hold on to it. Not a good trait. Jesus Christ became sin. Jesus Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave far above and beyond. And then the last thing. No, no, no. There's two more. He gives not as we deserve, but according to his grace. How many times have we walked into a church driving down the road and we look at the church and we say, I don't know. I don't know if they're spending this money like I should. You trust God? You look at the guy walking down the road and said, I feel like I, feel like I need to give that guy $10, but I don't know. I don't think he deserves I'm sure it, he could have a job. He don't deserve this money. You think you deserve Christ? To the measure that you give, it will be given unto you. Jesus Christ gave it all, so he gets all. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't give as we deserve. He gives out of his grace because if he gave what, what we deserve, we would get nothing except hell, damnation, and the wrath of God poured out from on high in the presence of the Lamb. But Jesus, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, one may die for a friend, but for an enemy, may it never be. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the last one is, that Christ did give under compulsion. Can we bring these lights down and everybody stand to their feet? I need for you to understand what broke me up here a little while ago. I've said this time and time and time and time and time again. I actually said it in the sovereignty of God in the predestination sermon. I said it this way, that the way God works and compels is not against our will but in accordance with our will and it is the love of God that compels us to God 
It is as we have seen God and we fell so in love with him that we could not serve him, that we could not long for him, that we could not love him. We, we were obligated. We were compelled, but it was the compulsion of love. We got to have him. Like when you catch a glimpse of your wife and you say, I got to have you. Get this church. Just grab a hold of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You've heard that a million times. Have you ever stopped to think about it? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You see, he was compelled to do what he did. He was compelled. He had to because he looked on you. He looked at you in your face. He looked at you and he looked at you. And he didn't say, I have to because somebody wants me to. He said, I got to because I love him. My love for you compels me to come out of heaven, to have my flesh ripped off of my bones, to have myself beaten beyond recognition. I have to. I must. Because I love you so much. You see how God gives people? You're commanded to give in the New Testament. But what you give must be decided in your heart according to what has been given to you and according to what God has done for you. Yes, you should be compelled to give. But like Jesus is compelled to give, out of love. You love your money? You hold that money, okay? It won't save you. It won't love you. It won't hug you. It won't speak to you. It won't whisper. But Jesus, he will do what money promises to do. So give not just your money. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. For this is what is holy and good to the Lord. Give as God has given. Have your prize, though, be Christ. Who in here has not experienced the love of Christ? A love that compelled Jesus to come out of heaven and to experience a brutal murder to buy you back. Don't you know you were bought with a price? I want to open this altar this morning. I want to invite you to come and just thank him. Just thank him. Because we are so unworthy. We're so unworthy. But he is so good. Nobody's ever given to you like this before. Enjoy it. Smile, people. God loves you. Smile. God loves you. It's good. Even who you are, while we were yet sinners, he still loves us. Come. Come to him.